This is Jamie. Welcome to a new episode of The Real Mom Podcast. I am so excited to share this episode with you. I talked to my friend, Whitney Runyon. Whitney is the adoptive mother of three children from the Republic of Congo. She is also one of the founders of the Archibald Project, which is an amazing organization that uses art and media to really shed light on the global orphan crisis and really holistic and important ways of engaging with it. We just had a great conversation. We talk about ethical adoption. So if you've had questions about that, this is going to serve you. Whitney has so much wisdom and so much experience in this area. So I was so grateful that she was willing to dive into that. She shares some insights on the global orphan crisis. We talk about contentment in motherhood. We talk about practices to really uh, care for ourselves as we care for our children. I loved getting to connect with Whitney. I have followed her and her organization and her story for so long. And so just getting to sit and talk with her and really glean from her wisdom was such a joy. So I know you're going to enjoy our conversation. Here is my chat with Whitney Runyon. Hey, Whitney. How are you? Hey, I'm good. I'm honored and excited to chat. Oh, man, I'm excited to chat, too. I have to start with a funny story. Oh, I like funny stories. Well, it's like our paths cropping before we knew it kind of thing. I wrote something and built this platform on Facebook. Mm -hmm. And then a friend of mine, I was personally on Instagram, but a friend of mine submitted what I wrote to the Archibald Project. I remember that. She said, you need to get on Instagram because I just submitted this. And, <laughs> and I literally remember where I was. I was sitting in Myrtle Beach on my phone. And I, that was still back when I had notifications on my Instagram. I could never have notifications on my Instagram. <laughs> no, no, no. But I did. And I remember it shared. And it was like one follower, two followers, three followers. And I just Aww. started swiping, swiping, swiping. And like, I had a thousand followers by the end of the night. Are you and serious? Started, yes. Oh, started so this cool. journey on, and not to sound too much like a Kardashian, but I can't imagine my life without Instagram now and the community that I have totally. and the relationships. And, and it's such a great platform for like really getting to know people and sharing yourself. Yeah. And it all started with you picking up that little story. That's crazy. Oh my gosh. I love that. I don't, I didn't know that. That's really beautiful. So I want you to talk a little bit more about the Archibald Project. We'll do that later. But for now, can you just introduce me to yourself and Mm -hmm. your family? Yeah, I'm Whitney. (laughs) My husband's name is Nick and we have three children. Nicholas, we named after Nick. And then we, he's eight. And then we have twins, Israel and Chambers, and they just turned six and they are all biological siblings. And we adopted them from the Republic of Congo two and a half years ago. Okay. Two and a half years. So I've been following your journey the whole time. I'm sure there's holes in it though. So I'm excited to talk because I feel like I've gotten to see it a little bit to know how beautiful it's been, how hard it's been. Yeah. But I have enough holes that I'm like, I'm excited to talk and really hear the story from you. 
<laughs> well, so, thanks. all right, tell us a little bit about the Archibald Project then, just because I think it's probably hard to tell your personal story without that piece of it. You know, our entire life is basically the Archibald Project, which sounds really uh, weird and probably like a little bit unhealthy, but we like we became a family because of the Archibald project. We are like best friends are a lot of people that work with us. And so, yeah, there's just a lot of our, I don't want to say identity, but kind of (laughs) wrapped up in the work we do. So the Archibald project is an orphan care advocacy organization, and we use media and storytelling to advocate for vulnerable children. And it started nine years ago, really. But the idea in the beginning was we were just going to document adoptions and we were going to tell adoption stories because in our innocent and naive mm-hmm. and truly well like, yeah, well-intended, but like super ignorant view, Western view is we thought, oh, everybody should adopt. And if everybody adopts, then there'll be no more yeah. orphans in the world. Yeah, and yeah, I yeah. understand why people think that way, but it's just, it's a very uneducated view. And so the more we got into documenting adoptions, specifically international adoptions, the more we realized that adoption is part of a problem or it's a very small solution to a very Mm. big worldwide issue going on with vulnerable people. And there's lots of reasons why people are placed in orphanages or adoption is needed. And so what if we started using our storytelling and our advocacy to really talk about the broader picture of like orphan care and holistically how we can better care for vulnerable people so that maybe people, kids don't need to be adopted in the first place. And so trying to like, there's just so much to talk about. Sorry, this is a really bad answer. My husband would be appalled of how I just explained that. No, no. I really, I'm glad that we're diving into this because there have been times where I share about ethical adoption or ethical orphan care and people say like, oh, what do you even mean by that? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, this is such a huge issue. And, you know, thank God that the church has really called people to step into orphan care, but it has been with this, like you're talking about, like if one family from every church in yeah. the United States were to adopt, we would eradicate orphans. And well, what about the children who are in orphanages because their mom is a few miles away and can't provide food? What about... Or she just wants to parent. She has no idea that placing her child in this group home means that she's signing her rights away and she's never going to see her kid again. Like there's just so much, yeah, that we don't understand and we don't know. And the narrative is written in the West from a Western perspective, which is truly sad, I think. And it does a lot of harm, but people are well-intended. And so there's so much grace. I mean, there's so much grace for people on their journey to learn. But yeah, it's, sorry, I cut into what you were saying. No, no. So I want to get into your story personally, but can we just hang here for a bit? Yeah. Can you speak to, I'm guessing that you started this ministry and got into this work because you had a heart for adoption and you had a heart for orphan care. What were maybe some of the stories or some of the things that you saw that started to change your mind and really pivot the ministry? I'm sure there were things that were concerning that actually really created the shift. Yeah, we were actually in Uganda. We were in Uganda documenting an adoption. And so what I learned in Uganda didn't have anything to do with the family we were with, because I don't want ever, I don't want people to associate 
my view of corruption and adoption with this specific family. But we are with that family and we spent a week or like a week in Uganda. I went to this baby's home and it was a different baby's home than the family had adopted from. And I found out there that like pretty much every kid there had a mom, a dad, a Jaja in the village. And there were just mm. like certain reasons why people, why they couldn't take care of their children. And then I saw that some of them were being adopted. And I'm like, wait, that doesn't make sense. Like, why are they being adopted? I just met their birth mom. They just came to visit. I don't get this. And so that set Nick and I on a path of really trying to understand why children are being placed in orphanages in the first place. And then why the West kind of has this narrative of like, all children in orphanages need to be adopted out. And let's continue to fund these orphanages. Because then we started learning a lot about how sometimes when the mere existence of an orphanage can cause children to be abandoned, whereas like maybe somebody in the village or an extended family could actually care for the children rather than being placed in a in an institution. And so I would say that was a pretty, pretty pivotal moment. That was in 2013. And the Archibald Project's first trip, we went to Bulgaria in 2011. So that was like two years after kind of starting to do this. My husband was an airline pilot and we, and I was a wedding photographer. And so we could travel very cheap Mm. around the world. And it was like, you know, I mean, the beginning, it was so much fun. Like we didn't know when we were going to you're saving the world. It's not just fun. You're like this mission of of saving everyone. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Which is so crazy that, and like. (laughs) completely unhealthy and horrible language to be even thinking of back then. But yeah, like we were, we were super naive, but I'm really thankful that we met a lot of amazing people along the way that could help educate us and teach us and just kind of broaden our minds of yeah maybe this bigger picture. And so on our website, we have this journey. It's a very high level journey, but if anybody wants to go on it, it's the 411 on the Archibald Project's website. And it kind of takes us back to this like beginning place of why there's even an orphan crisis to begin with. And if anybody out there is listening, I'd love to do a TED talk on this whole journey one day. But (laughs) (laughs) there's just so much to learn about orphanages, the history of orphanages, the history of adoption, the history of international adoption, and then the like movement of the West coming into these, you know, developing countries and putting the Western views and mm. thoughts onto these people and how that's kind of affected the international orphan crisis. Sure. All right. So I can't offer you a TED talk. And <laughs> <Can> you <laughs> that's a like drive by for anyone who wasn't even aware that there was anything other than this narrative of there are orphans and we should go save them. Like, thank you yeah. for that, that five minute 101. Can you give me a five minute 101 for anyone who is pursuing or considering international adoption? Yeah. Ugh, the big, I know. I was, was going to say, this is like one of those unanswerable questions because you clearly have a heart for adoption. You have three adopted children. Sure, there clearly sure. is a need. There are orphan children need homes and families yeah but and there's like miles of butt there so yeah can you kind yeah. of fill in just like a couple feet of the butt <laughs> yeah absolutely adoption can be beautiful 
And so I don't want people to ever feel shame because they want to adopt or they have adopted or they're in the process. My husband and I have three adopted children. We have learned so much about adoption and international adoption specifically. And prior to our adoption, I told people that I would probably never do international adoption because you could never really ensure that your children truly need to be adopted internationally. But if I were to do an international adoption, I would want to do it through this one organization that we had found in the Republic of Congo who works primarily with supporting vulnerable women and they employ them and they their desire is to keep children with their birth families when it's possible. And so they ha- actually have a higher number of family resettlement, family unification and mm. job creation for Congolese women than they do international adoption. And that was really big for me. And so when we were approached for, or when we were kind of became aware that our children, they're like, the last resort was for them was, and like the best safest option for them was to be adopted internationally. And we said yes. And we started walking through this process. We learned a lot of things about my biggest thing right now is saying like, Hey, when you get your kids home, you need to know that, you know, that, you know, that, you know, that you did everything possible to make sure that you're adopting them was the best, safest situation for them. And if it's not, and if you can't look at your kids and they're older and say that, then let's hold the brakes and like process through some things. One, the organization that you are choosing to go through this international adoption with, what are they doing for families? What are they doing for birth families? What are they doing for vulnerable women in the community? How are they supporting families staying together? If they don't have anything on that and they don't have any proof or documentation on that, for me, that I would not be able to continue moving forward. I would want to look at financial records. Are orphanages gaining bonuses for each child they complete an international adoption for? If they are, that's kind of a red flag for me as well, because then there's money incentive to do adoptions. I would also really highly recommend people hiring a third party to do some investigations because even well-meaning adoption agencies can be fooled with like death certificates. I've heard so many people like we had the death certificate for my child's family and then we got them home to America and we found out that their mom was very much alive and lived down the street. Oh my God. I've heard so many horrible cases of blackmail with biological families different things like that, that you can go, it's very easy. We live in a very connected world, no matter how disconnected we might That's feel. A great point. Right, right. Just go to Google and say, lawyers, private investigators in the country that you are looking to adopt from, go find the expats living, and you can find them on Facebook or a lot of expat missionaries will have blogs. Get somebody to go in and, and ask questions and learn about the orphanage or the children's home or the director's. Wow. in those specific countries and villages and figure out like, is this the last resort? Have all other avenues been tried to get this child out of the orphanage back into biological family if it's safe or local community members, foster care, local adoption there. And so those are my like, those are just my little little advice things for international adoption. But, and then I, I know there can be so much shame and like guilt of being like, if you have a child that's home, And you're like, I didn't do any of that. Oh my gosh, your journey's not over. You know, like you can still hire a private investigator now to go look for a biological family. And like, 
I'm really passionate. And my husband, we've been talking about this a lot is like, yes, culturally, there are so many things that could come up with trying to have an open adoption internationally. But I don't think it's out of the picture. Like, if you find out once your child is home that that your child has biological family somewhere, try to figure out a safe and healthy way to have a connection with them. Because from our job with Archibald Project, being able to talk to adult adoptees and hearing how important it was for them growing up to have some type of connection to birth family, it is just so important for their processing their own journey and their own story and answering their own questions of identity and healing. So those are my... Yeah. So November, National Adoption Month. And so I have been sharing my platform on Instagram with adult adoptees this month. Love it so much. Nothing has shifted my thinking more about adoption and open adoption than listening to adult adoptees. Absolutely. I believe the narrative that we're saving them from trauma, especially Mm -hmm. being involved in foster care, that, well, if you take this child from me after them being with me for a year, then you're traumatizing this child. And that is the reality. That child is being traumatized by that. But there is a one-time trauma for a two-year-old or an eight-year-old or this lifetime of trauma. This And we all know happy adoptees. We all know people who love their adoptive parents and believe that adoption is beautiful and sacred and all of that. So it's always the both and. It's always I'm holding both of these things. Yeah. But hearing that change this narrative from like, well, it would be traumatic to take this child from my home and move them back to birth family. Well, it will be traumatic, but there is the trauma that is now and momentary, or there's the trauma that is potentially lifelong. And we need to hold both of those things and not have a either or, well, this is a good situation and this is a bad situation. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It, so absolutely. Hard, I love I love what you're sharing there because too often I feel in this space, like I wanted to be able to empower people who have a heart for adoption Mm -hmm. and there is a need for some children to be adopted internationally Sure, for there to be some direction and not just this hopelessness of like, well, it can be really messy and broken and wrong. So I'm going to step out completely. So I appreciate the tips that you shared, I think they're really, really practical. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, yeah, I hope so. So without like diving into their story so much, can you start to share with us your journey in finding your children and you all becoming a family together? Well, I will say that, you know, our kids grew up are in the home, the home in the Congo. It's called Moana Villages. Moana was not Hague at the time. And so we were able to actually get to know our kids kind of before all the paperwork was done, which is kind of backwards in a, in a sense in that a lot of countries that do international adoption with America is Hague and you don't actually meet your child until all the adoption has gone and is finalized. But because right. we were adopting through Moana Villages, and we did our own like third party, like, hey, is this what's going on? And they had, they'd only done like three or four international adoptions at that point. And they had resettled 
countless children with biological family members that after we did our own research with the kids and then just knowing and trusting the organization, we said yes. And nine months in, we basically were legal guardians in the Congo. And so Nick and I moved to the Republic of Congo and we lived with them for seven months until oh our goodness. adoption was, was finalized. Wow. wow. I remember yeah. all the pictures and you being there for, wow. Seven it months. was, I mean, so here's the thing is seven months was long, but it wasn't our kids' fault and it was hard and it wasn't their fault. Right. But it was just like a crazy situation that were these first time parents not sleeping, yeah. don't have community yeah. around to help. You know, like you think about like somebody becoming a mom or a dad, you think of like having their mom and dad around or having their friends or having people in their community to like help them navigate this road. And I did not understand that because I wasn't a parent until like, I think the third day I just started crying. And I was like, I just, I didn't realize that I was leaving my mom and I need her right now. Like I really right. need my mom and I'm a right. world away from her and we are doing this all by ourselves. And, and that was just really hard. And there was lots of like sleep deprivation and anxieties and fear and trauma. And this was a really hard, long seven months, but I am thankful now, like two and a half years removed <laughs> that we have that time with our kids in their birth country with memories and friends and oh, videos and, yeah. and they love it. We talk about Congo all the time. We can't wait to, we talked about this last night. Like we want to take them back this summer if COVID's done, mm. you know, like we want to be like ongoing them to be in their first country or their first culture. We don't want them to like take them back when they're like 20 and then be like, what? We want this just to like always be a part of them. So we'll see. Wow. That is, that's so special. I mean, it sounds like I can't even imagine how hard. I remember when I had my first one child with no trauma and they come out and they sleep, you know, three quarters of the day and <laughs> the, like absolute world shifting. Like I'm now responsible for you. You don't eat or live without me providing what you need. Yeah. That's such a life altering thing to happen with three children. <laughs> been through stuff. You're not in your car. Co- I just, yeah. and I it can't was, imagine. It was really hard. Yeah. For everybody. <laughs> I like, I can't wait till my kids are older and I'm just be like, I am so sorry that yeah. I was crazy in those first seven months. <laughs> I mean, we weren't sleeping. We were like, so we had three kids. There's three of them. Yeah. We would go to bed, let's say at like 11. And then at some point, and they were getting up at like five. So between 11 and five, all three kids would be up multiple times. So right. you're literally not sleeping for more than like a 30 yeah. minute stint yeah. for the entire seven months. And you're just like completely sleep deprived. I'm like, yeah, oh, we were crazy. <laughs> so Anyways. what was it like for them, for all of you to come back to American culture and for them you know, you're a family unit now. And so you've gotten used to each other in that sense. But now Mm -hmm. here they are here. Yeah, well, I mean, they were four and a half, two years ago. So four (laughs) and a half and six. Okay, Okay. four and a half and six. And they're just like any kid, they're really excited about going on an airplane. They're really excited about it was Christmas time. And so they're really excited about like coming home and having Christmas presents and 
they were just excited about all the things. I don't think they really, we had talked about America a lot and seen pictures and they knew people's faces of our loved ones that they got to mm, meet because we <laughs> Skyped with them or we took a bunch of photos over to Congo with us. So they're just really excited about all the things. Yeah. I don't think they really noticed much difference in the atmosphere. Huh. If that makes any sense. I don't, they just, I mean, they're kids, you know, they're just kind of like, yeah, cool. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think going back, it will be quite different because even mm. now, Nicholas, our oldest will say things like we had more trash in Congo, just like very matter mm. of factly. And it's like, right. Interesting observation, <laughs> <laughs> you know, just little things like that. All right. I'm interrupting my chat to tell you about one of my very favorite companies and they have been for years. Fawn and Foster is a baby product company with a mission. They put out the highest quality, organic, most beautiful products for your babies. I love their swaddles. My babies are in them every single day. They have adorable gowns and burp cloths. Everything is the highest of qualities with cute packaging that shares about their mission. And here's the best part. They funnel 50% of all profits back into foster care initiatives. And right now, Fawn and Foster is partnering with Foster the Family in our work to provide supplies and clothing and holistic care to foster families and the children that they're caring for. If you use the code FOSTERFAMILY as you purchase, you will not only get their beautiful products for yourself or for gifts, you'll also be supporting the work of Foster the Family in our efforts to support foster families and children. So go to fawnandfoster.com and use code FOSTERFAMILY to both get your amazing baby products and support the work of Foster the Family. That's fawnandfoster.com, code FOSTERFAMILY. All right, so let's talk about your shift just as a woman from this, like we're gonna be on mission and we're traveling all the time and you are a creative and you have this organization to not just entering motherhood, but entering motherhood with three children. What has it been like for you to shift and like put on all the hats and learn how to be both? <laughs> yeah. My husband and I never got pregnant and we still haven't gotten pregnant. We've never done anything to like medically intervene with that. And so I think in that like nine month period of just kind of ironic that it was like a nine month period. Oh my gosh. The adoption journey. During that nine month period, I think I really, I'm an Enneagram four. I don't know if you know Enneagram, but like, I I was wondering if you were a seven, just with the like, (laughs) the like, let's go around the world and save everything. And (laughs) yeah, that's probably more of the like, my life is a movie. And so I'm going to have this dramatic, you know, life. I'm a seven. Um, so I see the world through the seven thing. And she's there's like, so oh, this trend. must be where she coming. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love the like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I think that I really like, I don't know why this is so weird, but even as a child, I prayed for wisdom. And so I think one of the wisest things you can do is learn from other people and their experiences. And then like, take that on and like try to help your life and be better human being because of it. So during that nine month period, I remember a lot of people saying, you're not going to sleep. 
you're going to have to like, your job is going to be completely like your world is just going to be different when you become a mom. And so I feel like I tried to really use that nine months to like sleep in and watch Netflix and like create. And we had, we did, we had such a full life before having children that I really wanted to like, okay, that chapter is not closed, but like, that's not an option anymore. And I don't want to live in this regret and anxiety. And so I wanted to like step into this new role and this new stage of life with grace and peace, which I feel like I didn't because I was so anxious and scared and exhausted. But I feel like now, (laughs) I don't know. I just like, I just want to be in it. Like there's definitely times when I cry to Nick where I'm just like, I want to create more. I feel like I'm not being able to like express myself artistically enough. But overall, I really enjoy that I get to come to work when the kids go to school. And then I get to leave work at three or 2.45 and be a mom and cook dinner. And I'm starting to really enjoy rhythms and patterns and like cooking. And we bought a house and we moved out to have a little bit more land and space and just like doing the... I don't want to say normal, but like, yeah, just motherhood. I don't know. I'm just trying to yeah, really, just like really enjoy it and yeah. not thinking about all the things that I could be doing. Cause I, you know, I yeah. mean, this day and age, everybody's writing a book. Everybody's getting their own reality show. Everybody's doing all these things. <laughs> and I'm just like, that's really awesome. But that's just not where I am. And I want to be able to enjoy this. And cause I know everybody says it's going to go fast. Right. And that's the part of wisdom that I feel like you have to like, mm. everybody says it happens and goes by really fast. So I'm just going to like sit here and it's really hard, right? Like it's so, so hard. Yeah. Motherhood. But I also know that it's just going to fly by. And so I don't want to spend this time wishing for something else. Yeah. 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 yeah I'm a wisher. That- and it's, yeah, what you're talking about is, is a journey that I read once that sevens have the hardest transition into motherhood. Oh, and I was like, oh, yeah, that feels right. And I, and I felt like I had that a little bit in marriage, too. Mm. And even though I was super happily married and, and everything was great, there was this like, but there's all these other things that could be. Sure. And so finding this place of contentment in where I am and the people that God has given me and what he's called me to right now and just sitting in that with contentment, it's a journey for me. It's like, yeah, it's never ending. I'm always putting that on. I'm always fighting for that again and realizing what a joy and a privilege it is. And I have to remind myself often that it's a joy and a privilege. Oh, me too. Me too. Because I mean, yeah, like we live in this world where there's just like instant gratification all the time, all the time. Yeah. So like we are being programmed by all the outside forces of just focusing on ourselves and what we want at any given moment. And so I think there's something like almost primal and natural to just be like, no, I'm going to sit here. Like women to 500 years ago could not, you know, yeah. work and do this and do this and do this. So I'm just going to be here and think about the mm-hmm. women of the past and what they did. I don't know. I don't know. No, no, I feel you. I'm just, I mean, part of it is that when other women are doing things that we aren't doing or maybe aren't supposed to do, it feels like there are so many good things that we should be grabbing at all the good things and not 
wasting time. Yeah. Yeah. But then, you know, you have to, I remember there's this pastor church out of Portland that we love. And he said that before he became a father, he asked all these like older pastors in his lives, like, how do you make sure you don't have the typical preacher kid, right? Like the like (laughs) preacher with the crazy kid is going out and doing all the crazy things. And he said, the one thing that every man or woman told him was you have to be living it first. You can't just be preaching it on Sundays and preaching it at your kids. And so I really try to take that into my parenthood journey and that like, I don't want my kids looking at me thinking you're out there advocating for orphan care and, you know, giving your life to quote unquote, ending the global orphan crisis. And you've completely neglected me here at home. And so I'm like, I've got to live it out at home first. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like I can't tell anybody how they should be an adoptive mom if I am not doing it myself. And so I've put a lot of emphasis on making sure that I'm like focusing on the kids now. Yeah. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. Cause I, you know, as a seven, it's just, (laughs) there's so many good things and I want to do all the good things. And what am I called to? And that quite like, what am I called to? What am I called to? Well, there are a lot of things that I could be called to. There are a lot of things that are good. I know that I'm called to these kids in my home. I know that they are mine forever, which means they are my, or even the ones that aren't mine forever. Let me make that mm-hmm. distinction quick as a foster mom. Yeah. I know that the kids in my home, that's, that's my mission today. And so yeah. when there's space for other things, then that space can be filled with that. But yes. that needs to be the first, like when you, you know, that picture of like the professor who filled a thing and you put the big rocks in first and then the pebbles and then the sand and then the water, like you put mm-hmm. the water in first and then you can't get the rocks in. And it's just like, how, how do we fill yeah. this to capacity? Yeah. You put the rocks in first. Mm-hmm. You, what is important? These are the things mm-hmm. that are going to come first. Yes. And I think that's probably what brought the most contentment, joy, peace of like, oh, this mission is so glorious of my children and yeah, yeah. of their souls and of their care. And that needs to come first. And then from that, it will create space to totally. do the work that we both care about of advocating totally. for the others. Absolutely. I love that. But for anybody out there who's like, oh my gosh, they have like, it's so easy. It's not easy. It's so hard, right? Like I hear you and what you're saying. Like it's so hard. It's so hard. There's often lots of tears. Yeah. A hundred percent. Especially right now. And are your kids in school or are they virtual? They are in school. We started virtual. Do they go to private school? Nope. They're in public school. Oh, so where are you, Whitney? We're in Austin. Okay. Yeah, but we, so there's a few different school districts here and blah, 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 blah. Currently, our school is still open, but I just got an email yesterday that we've got two cases. Oh, no. And so we're like, oh. all the moms in the text group are like, all right, we're just like hunkering down and like praying. Yeah, that's a And like, well, let's keep it open. But yeah. All right, well, let me ask you this then with things potentially shifting and with which I'm so glad you just said, which comes up every episode, but just how hard this is. What does it look like for you to, you know, the word self-care is thrown around, it's all blah, blah, blah. But 
to practice self-care, to stay grounded, to prioritize your relationship with your husband? Like, what does that look like for you? As it's funny because you have older kids, but as a new mom, <laughs> that's a good that's that's a good question. <laughs> okay, I would say for any new mom, self care can sometimes look like television for your children, and stepping outside of the room for the mom or dad. Like I went into parenthood thinking I'm never gonna let my kids watch TV. TV is horrible, and yes, yeah. I know there's so many horrible things with television. But it has been a saving grace for us at times. And I think just having like a group core group of friends that you can truly be honest with about the pain and how hard it is, is invaluable. One girl that we interviewed on our podcast, she's a single foster mom. And she was saying her advice to people, other single people out there saying that they wanted to foster was, if you do not have people in your life that will help you, then don't start the foster care process. Yeah. And I'd say the same for even not single people in adoption is like, if you don't have friends that will be there to help you and not judge you and like truly like lift you up when you feel like you can't keep going, then wait until you get those people in your life. Don't try to do it alone. We moved. So there's something, this is, I don't know how like hippie you want to get, but there's this thing (laughs) called grounding. Have you ever heard of it? Yeah. Yeah. So basically you just like, go stand barefoot in the grass or like get yeah. out in nature. My friend called, said she did a nature bath the other day. You ever heard of that? I haven't heard that. <laughs> <laughs> Your friends are really like honest. Going out. Oh, I'm from Austin, you know? Yeah. You just go out in nature. And I feel like since we moved outside of the city and we've gotten a little bit, like we have trees in our backyard and yeah. deer in our backyard and foxes and like, it's just the drive to the kids' school is just a straight road and hills and hill country. There's no stoplights. And I just feel like really getting out in nature has been so helpful for my yeah, soul. It's so just like life-giving and especially yes. for our kids. Yeah. The, the combination of nature and running around and burning energy. And yeah, I think it's so, and especially for our kids from trauma who can have like sensory needs and these other, like, I just think it's so key. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And therapy. Therapy is awesome. I haven't, I've stopped therapy like a year ago, but not on purpose. I don't remember why. Maybe the pandemic. I don't know. But therapy is really I stopped therapy because of the pandemic too. Care. Yeah. Just it's been beautiful. <laughs> oh, and working that, out. Totally Sorry. Right. I'm thinking of all these things now. And I'm like, oh, I love this. And I love this. It's really helpful. A good glass of red wine. <laughs> yeah. Hey, we have all the same things, apparently. My list and yours are identical. We need to be in real life friends. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I want to talk more about you. I want to know what you're doing, eating, reading, watching, and listening to. So this is where we shift out of the, like, heaviness of orphan care and motherhood and all of that. Tell me what you're doing, first of all. What I'm doing. Well, right now I'm talking to you. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Yeah. I mean, I am. I think I'm being a mom right now. Like, I know that the whole, like, what are you doing? But like, but you're really just leaning into that. I mean, we have to, I mean, yeah, I'm a DIYer through and through. So the house we bought in May, I'm changing it. Okay. Oh, fun. <laughs> I want my life to feel like I live in Europe in like the 1800s. And oh, so well. we're just making that happen. And then I started this 12 week long workout plan. And I just have to say, I'm really proud of myself. I have done 
eight, this I'm in the middle of my eighth week. This is the longest time I've ever stuck with a plan ever. And I'm just like really proud of myself for having that self-discipline and dedication. That's awesome. Yeah. It, I just even work out aside. Like I'm just really proud of myself for sticking to something. You know what yeah. I mean? Oh yeah. I'm not a sticker. I did this summer for the first time in my life. I did a, a couch to 5k and I ran every single day for months. months. <gasps> so great. But then I got a newborn oh. <laughs> and I don't sleep. And yeah. I was waking up. The only time I could exercise was at 5 a.m. So I was waking up at 5 a.m. Well, now That's if I'm it. being woken up like three times in the middle of the night, I just cannot get up at 5 a.m. So he has both brought so much amazing joy and really ruined that part. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a trade-off. It's a good trade-off because he is uh, the best. <laughs> that's awesome. All right. What are you eating? Well, I'm really into bubbly water right now. <laughs> Mm, <laughs> ginger bubble actually right now i am addicted to it's called ginger sparkling water and it's you get it from whole foods it's, it's like so a, a little commercial for yeah. whole foods bubbly water <laughs> and it's cheaper than like other bubbly water because it's their personal like their store brand and oh so here i'll do my commercial aldi oh. i'm sure is even cheaper than the whole food <laughs> amazing is that what was that grapefruit it was grapefruit yeah amazing so good all right what are you reading text messages <laughs> I wish I could say I was this like amazing reader I love the idea of reading yeah if I have like an hour I'm probably gonna That's watch gonna tv happen. or listen to a podcast yeah. I'll be honest I did just buy this like massive new testament commentary on the new testament that my friend who went through seminary said that I should read because I was like I kind of want to go to seminary and she's like we should start with this book and I'm like oh, okay but it's been sitting on my bedside table for like three weeks now and I haven't touched it so the benefit of that book might be to help answer the seminary question for right I know now. right I know it's so true. maybe I am a seven I don't know <laughs> that's great all right well then you'll do better with these questions what are you watching and what are you listening to okay by the way no shame there. I'm a TV person too. I mean, I'm a reader, but I'm a TV person too. So, what what are you watching then? We're actually rewatching Parenthood right now. Oh, okay. I could never. So this is the thing. I can't like get into really heavy shows because I feel mm. like the past ten years of my life You're have like been heavy. so heavy that I just I can't watch anything that has to do with hard things. Which I'm like yeah. a really big. And I'm a feeler. I'm a, I'm a four. So yeah, I sit yeah. in a lot of like heavy things on a day-to-day basis. So for my TV, I have to go light. It's light. Okay. People out there who are listening might love me for my answer or judge me for my answer. I <laughs> am. You should know that everyone's answer always starts like that. Like, I know this is a Christian podcast, so I'm sorry to say this, but no, so just say it. I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry. I feel like I've learned good, so many good. things through this show that I'm watching. I am like four episodes away of finishing the series of Shit's Creek. And okay. it is just, it just makes me giggle so much. Yeah. And I feel like an old, old woman saying giggle, but it just, I just, I literally giggle when I watch it. It's yeah. a joyful show. I haven't seen it, but I know that everyone who's watched it loves it. So yeah, it's on I didn't. Yeah. It's sweet. Fun. All right. What about, what are you listening to? Or actually, you can tell us what you're listening to, but also give a plug for your podcast. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> well, my favorite podcast is called Bridgetown Church, and they're out of Portland. John Mark Comer, he is, I just feel like Nick I know, and I, I know 
you I've know heard him? him on podcasts before. Okay. Yeah. We love him. We feel like theologically speaking, their beliefs line up with our beliefs. We were a part of a small house church before we moved to Uganda in 2015. And when we came back from Uganda, our house church kind of like crumbled apart. And then we just kind of like looked around for churches. And in that time we found the Bridgetown podcast. And so sometimes we'll go to actual church. We have such rich community and like a village of people, of believers around us and in our lives that we do like life with that we don't like, and we're in a pandemic, but we're not like physically yeah. going to <laughs> that church right now. So we love Bridgetown Church. We love their oh. podcast. Really good. Leon Bridges. Do you know him? No. Oh, look him up on Pandora after this or whatever music app you do. <laughs> All right. So good. So good. All right. I'll do it. All right. So Bridgetown Church and Leon Bridges. Sweet. Mm-hmm. Whitney, thank you so thank much you. for spending this time. I really, I have followed your story and your mission, your work and your beautiful thank children you. and all of that. It's been a joy to see all of that. So to talk to you and hear your heart and and just have you share your wisdom with us. I'm just so grateful for your time. Thank so you. Thank I truly so appreciate much. it. It's an honor. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Real Mom Podcast. You can find us in all the places, realmompodcast.com for our landing page, where we'll connect you to the guests and all the links and info from this episode. On Facebook, search Real Mom Podcast, and on Instagram, at Real Mom Podcast. Thanks for listening. This praise is to my king. You are the